We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm, of course, joined by my co-host, Alex Blutman. We are recording this episode on April 16th, so we are officially a week away before the start of the 20 NFL, 2020 NFL draft. Uh, it is really coming down to the wire here, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, especially that... Uh... Special teams ace, Sherrick McManus, is back with the Bears. Uh, he's a fan favorite, so I'm happy to have him back, and I'm excited to have uh, NFL football back. Yeah, Sherrick McManus, you know, he's one. he's been really one of those core leaders that you want for your football team for the Bears there. Special team ace, like you said, very versatile in the back end of the defense for them. Uh, glad to have him back. And, uh, yeah, he adds uh, some much-needed depth to the secondary right now. As we head into the draft here, which is you know right around the corner, so for this episode, we are doing our final mock draft or mock draft 2.0, if you want to call it like that, uh, leading into the actual draft starting on April 23rd. So as opposed to our first mock draft versions that we did earlier on in the offseason, however, we are changing things up to include trades with each of us going with a different strategy for how we approach this year's draft. So. For me, I went with more of an aggressive approach in line with what we've seen out of pace in recent years, Alex. What was your approach towards uh, this draft? Yeah, um, I went with a, a more uh, conservative trade-back approach. Um, I, I had some rules in place when I was going through the mock, uh, kind of 
still looking for those premium talents, but if not, if too many were on the board, I I tried to trade back just to try and add some depth and fill some needs with our limited draft capital. Yeah, and I think for me that was something that I think we both agree that's probably the more preferable strategy uh, for Ryan Pace to take. But you know, as we've seen, he's had that itch, sort of speak, of wanting the trade up to get his guy, and that's you know for me to kind of differentiate. The, uh, the mock drafts for us here. I decided to put my mind in the, in the headspace of Ryan Pace and try and think the way he would think for this one, uh, so to speak. So with that said, we're going to leave that to you, the listeners, as to which mock you guys like the most. Um, and before we dive into them, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, and you know, we're going to jump into it right away, getting to our picks and what we actually did for this mock draft. So I'll start with what I did. And, you know, I'll, I'll preface this first selection that I made by saying that we know that Ryan Pacey's had a tendency to want to trade up in recent drafts. Obviously, he did it with Leonard Floyd back in 2016 to get him. He did to draft Mitch Trubisky, trading of one spot to get him. And then in last year's draft, he traded up to get David Montgomery uh, in the third round there, which was the Bears' first selection in that draft gave up some valuable draft capital, so to speak, in a draft where he didn't really have too many picks. But, you know, the Bears had a need at running back, and he aggressively tried to fill that need by going after David Montgomery. And, you know, I think that's something that Ryan Pace might be doing in this draft as well. You know, we've heard a lot of rumors that he's been interested in trading up to the bottom half of the first round to get a guy that he wants in this class. You know, we're not sure if it's going to happen or not. It comes down to, you know, what they have to give up in order to do that. And, you know, right now, it, you know, they probably have to give up a lot of future capital in order to make a move like that. So, you know, that was kind of the mindset I went into. You know, I think there's a small set of players that I think he'll be chomping at the bit to get in the first round. And two positions I think he'll be targeting are wide receiver, specifically with a speedy, explosive wide receiver, and offensive tackle because I think there's going to be a run of offensive tackles early on in the first round. You know, they're saying that there could be as many as seven, eight, maybe even nine offensive tackles taken in the first round of this draft with, so, with you know, how many quality tackles there are in this class. There's going to be a lot of them flying off the board in the first round, and, and if Pace doesn't think he can get one of those guys in the second round, it's very possible that he could package some future picks to go up and make a move there. So – what I did here with this trade, trading up here to the last selection in the first round, which the Kansas City Chiefs own, I send the Bears 43rd overall pick in this draft and a future 2021 second-round pick to the Kansas City Chiefs. In exchange, I got pick 32 and the Chiefs' fifth-round pick in 2021. So that way, the Bears aren't losing a pick in 2021 necessarily, but they're basically trading down all the way to the fifth round. Now, that's obviously a, a huge trade down, and – um, you know, if you look at the draft value charts, you know, for most of them, that's a little bit of an overpay for the Bears. But if they want to get to the first round, you know, they're going to have to overpay, I think, in order to make that happen. Um, and the player that I ended up going with was the guy that was on the top of my board in terms of wide receivers and offensive tackles 
combined. And that was Jalen Rager, wide receiver out of TCU. Um, you know, when I look at – we kind of talked about him in our wide receiver episode. Alex, you know, Jalen Rager, he's one of the most dynamic, explosive wide receivers in this class. He has absolutely fantastic big playability, which is something that the Bears offense has been lacking. You know, they've been lacking a lot of things over the past couple of years, specifically last season. But I think having that Tyree kill for Nagy's offense is something that they have – been searching for. They tried Trey Cohn in that role, sort of. Uh, they've tried Taylor Gabriel to kind of fill that speed void for them, but they really just have not been able to figure it out. And, you know, by drafting Rager, I think that really is the piece that completes their wide receiver core. And it's kind of like building a basketball starting lineup, uh, for instance. You know, you have Allen Robinson as your number one alpha wide receiver, the guy that can confront the defense in all areas of the field, but mostly he's that big um, guy that you know that when you need to play on third down and in the red zone, you're going to go his way because of his ability to win one-on-one matchups. He's the guy. He's the go-to guy. Uh, then you got Anthony Miller, who's in the slot. He can strike anywhere in the field, but he's your finesse route runner guy. He's going to get, create a lot of separation for your quarterback in the middle of the field. You know, I, I kind of mentioned it last week on the slot fades. He's very effective at that, but he's your route runner. And then you got Rager. He's your big play speed threat who's going to spread the defense out and open up passing windows for those two guys to go to work. And that's kind of where I see him on this team. He can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. They can play in the backfield for gadget plays or hand and ball up to him, get him involved there. Uh, basically, any way to get the ball in his hands, that's what his role would be with the Bears. So with that first pick, I decided to do the right and pace special, trade up, go up and get Jalen Rager. It cost me a second-round pitch, which is going to be very valuable for this team going to the future. But – I think Pace, he wants to win right now in 2020, and this is a move that would definitely set them up to, uh, to win more games, I think, coming up this season. Yeah, um, not only is Rager a, a great wide receiver with tremendous upside and actually star potential, I, I do think he is – the perfect fit out of all these wide receivers for this bears team. So that is another thing while I am heavily against trading up. Uh, if we traded up for a guy like Rieger, I I'd be able to swallow that a little better. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, for your first selection, you went with more of that conservative approach, like you said in the introduction, uh, what did you do with your first pick and did you actually stay at 43 or did you uh, make a move to trade down? Yeah, so um, if I was Ryan Pace, uh, I would have a little bit of rules in place. And one of them I had was if a premium talent that is in a somewhat of a need position is on the board at 43, uh, I run to the podium and take them. And if not, then I entertain trading back. So uh, the three guys I had flagged on as if they're here at 43, I take them was Zach Bond, edge out of Wisconsin, Jalen Rieger, who obviously you traded up to take, and then uh, Delpit out of LSU, just to fill that safety void. Um, none of them were there, so I decided to reach out and see what I'd be able to, to get in return. I ended up uh, settling with Baltimore, so I traded back from 43 for 60 and 92, which actually would be uh, – uh, quite the underpay by Baltimore, but I was able to get in a future fifth round pick, which uh, evens the tables a little bit. And 
uh, just add some draft capital the next year while also giving the Bears some uh, much needed depth in this upcoming draft. So with that uh, 60th pick in mind, I was hoping to address edge with a guy like Josh Uche now that Zach Bond's not available. But uh, first, we're going to move down to 50. And at 50, I was hoping that KJ Hamler was going to be on the board because he's another speedy wide receiver that I think could open up this offense as well. But uh, he was off the board, so I decided to trade down. And I I ended up uh, reaching a deal with the Raiders, and I traded number 50 for the 80th and the 81st pick overall. And I just figured with there being four important needs that I think uh, four important needs to be addressed in this uh, draft, which is offensive line, uh, speedy wide receiver, edge, and defensive back. I, I just thought it was important to try and accumulate as many picks in these first three rounds as possible. So I'd be sitting at three picks with uh, 60, 80, 81, and 92, which I think would really give the Bears the best chance to fill all four of those needs, which at the moment we would not be able to. So how would you address pick number 50 now that you've traded the, the 43rd and next year's second? How would you uh, approach this pick? Well, I'll say this. Um, ideally, I wouldn't want, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't want the, the Bears to trade up. But given the scenario that I'm going with you, the Bears trading up to get Rieger, um, they have to trade down from 50 in this situation. Uh, when you look at it here, you know, you're giving up future draft capital to move up and get a player that you think can be an impact starter for you. But with that said, that kind of limits what you can do next season. So you want to be able to move back and get not only some more picks for this year's draft, but, you know, some more picks for next year's draft, even if they're not like high round picks necessarily, just get some more, you know, picks there just so you have more options to go with next season when you get around to that, uh, that draft next year. So I ended up trading down twice. Um, and the goal here was to get back into the third round and pick up some third and fourth round picks. That way I could fill a few needs there and get some depth at, the, at those positions um, in the draft there. So what I did with the first trade at 50 was I made a trade with the Miami Dolphins since they have a boatload of picks in this draft, especially on day three. Um, for that one, I gave the Dolphins pick number 50 in exchange for 56, pick 141 in the fourth round, and a future sixth-round pick from the Miami Dolphins. And then from 56, I didn't really see anybody on the board that, you know, was necessarily I thought was a can't-miss or I, I couldn't trade down and pass up on them type of player for me. So I ended up making a deal with the Jaguars, who actually, you know, they also have a lot of picks in this draft as, as well. So I ended up receiving 73, 137, and 140, with 137 and 140 in the fourth round and 73 in the third round. And then I also picked up another additional sixth-round pick uh, from the Jaguars. So getting as many picks as possible in this draft, I think that's a strategy that Ryan Pace would want to do instead of looking for future picks because I think he wants to get more players in the building right now that can help them win in 2020 as opposed to kicking the can down the road, uh, so to speak, and, and uh, getting more picks for the future. So uh, with that first pick that you had now at pick number 60, who was the player that you were looking at and who's the player that uh, you end up going with there? 
Yeah, as I, as I said earlier, I was hoping uh, to get Josh Uche at edge. Um, a lot of times I've been seeing him going in the, the late second, early third, but he just seems like way too good of a player to be going in that area. And in this mock draft that ended up happening, he, he was off the board when I was picking at 60. So I pivoted a little bit and still wanted to get some more help on defense. So I went with Damon Arnett, a uh, cornerback out of OSU. Uh, he'd step in day one and uh, compete with Tolliver for the cornerback two job. Uh, he, it is a little unfortunate that his ceiling as an NFL player is a cornerback two, but uh, day one, he'd be able to contribute at the position. And also, I think in a year when uh, Buster Scrine's deal is coming to an end, I think Arnett would be able to pivot to slot corner and perform extremely well there. So while he only has a more depth role right now, I do think he would be a very significant contributor in the future so I'd be very comfortable taking Arnett at 60. Yeah definitely and uh, you know I'll go to my second pick then um, to kind of move things along here uh, and my second pick was at 73 in the third round from that Jacksonville Jaguars trade and you know when I was looking at the available players here I was actually thinking about trading down one more time to try and get into the deeper in the third round pick up maybe another fourth or fifth round pick but you know, there was one player sticking out on my board that I just couldn't pass up, and that was Lucas Niang, offensive tackle on TCU. You know, he was a three-year starter for them, primarily at right tackle for the Horned Frogs. And he's got very nice physical traits to play the position in the NFL. He's six foot six, 315 pounds, 34-inch arms, which maybe aren't the longest for a right tackle, but they're more than enough to get the job done, I think, at the professional level. And then when you look at Niang here, I think, you know, I think both of us have him as a second-round talent, maybe even closer to that early second, borderline late first-round pick. And it's very possible that Niang could go in the first round, given his talent level. But one thing to keep in mind here is that he dealt with a hip injury this past season in 2019 that slowed him down a bit in terms of his pass protection sets. He looked a lot slower and uh, just wasn't able to move as well as he used to in 2018. And you know, eventually he had to end of the season a little bit early to deal with that hip injury. So that could be something that causes him to fall, especially in this offseason where teams aren't going to be able to be able to physically assess some of these players with injury questions or recovering from injuries. You know, that could be a huge question mark for Niang in this draft class, in this draft year. Um, but when you look at Niang when he's healthy, he's got plus agility and strength at the position. So he fits really any type of scheme that you want to run in terms of your run scheme. And I think for the Bears personally, you know, you have Bobby Massey at right tackle, but that right guard spot is still a big question mark there. So whether Niang starting at right guard or maybe you, you put him at right tackle and move Bobby Massey to right guard uh, in that situation there, I think he's a guy that when he's healthy, he's going to start for the Bears right away from day one and make a big impact for them on the offensive line that uh, really struggled, especially that right side of the offensive line. That was something I really wanted to emphasize in this draft was fixing that right side there and getting some more talent to kind of, uh, you know, address that spot because that really hurt the Bears, I think, in terms of being able to run the offense as efficiently as they wanted to. Yeah, um, as you said earlier, this is a an extremely talented offensive tackle class, and there's been a lot of different buzz of all of these different uh, tackles going in the first round. And 
I've been shocked that I haven't been seeing Niang's name at all. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is an extremely common name I see, but I, I don't know how you could watch the two and come out with Niang as being the worst prospect to Cleveland. But, hey, if, if Niang's on the board for the, for the Bears, I, I, would, I wouldn't hesitate to take him, especially at 73. Yeah, and I, I think to me it all comes down to the injury and what you feel his upside is. If the injury concern is is that big of a deal for these NFL teams, I think it's very possible that he does slip in the draft a little bit. But if he does, the Bears should be ready to pounce because he'd be a very good fit for them, I think, in the, especially in the third round. That's very good value for them there. Um, for you, you know, you had a trade with the Las Vegas Raiders and you had two picks at 80 and 81. Uh, what directions did you go in for both of those picks then there? Yeah, uh, I've been I've been saying the past few picks I was looking for a speedy wide receiver. While he's not the fastest wide receiver, I I do think his route running is is great, and he still does have above average speed. And that's Michael Pittman out of uh, USC. It's been a bit of a, a draft draft crush for me. Not necessarily that I'm in love with him as a prospect, but I just think he is extremely undervalued I think he would go in the in the first round in a lot of wide receiver classes but with this one being so talented he's been one of the guys that has kind of been uh, put to the wayside because he's not a a a true first round talent like some of these other guys he's more of a, a borderline first round talent second round grade for me but I do think he would cause a little bit of issues with fit because he may push uh, Riley Ridley to the to the wayside, but I do think day one he'd be our third best wide receiver, and he'd go right in in that in that second outside position and be able to help the help the Bears win football games. And if you're picking at 80 and you have a guy who's going to start day one and he's going to help the team and add an aspect of the game that you don't already have, that's something that I, I'd love to address. And Pittman's a he's a polished prospect and he and he has professional pedigree, so. He's a guy I'm super comfortable taking with, and I would love the Bears to take him in the second round or the third round or even the fourth, depending on how much earlier he goes than he's been currently being mocked. With the very next pick at 81, and before I announce this, I would like to, just before my co-host calls me biased, I'd like to point out the fact that a lot of preseason mock drafts have been uh, resurfacing lately for analysts, and Tyler Biadish out of Wisconsin, he was mocked in the first round in all of them. In some of them, he was the first or second offensive lineman off the board, which is crazy. Then he went on to win the award for best college center over uh, Cushenberry and Ruiz. So I feel very comfortable taking at 81. I think while he's not quite the bully or the athlete that Ruiz and Cushenberry are, He's very technically sound. He's an elite technician, and he would take over center day one. I do not like the way that Cody Whitehair snaps the ball. I think he would be much better moving over to right guard. So bringing a guy like Biadish who will start day one and not only improves the uh, the play at the center position by getting rid of Whitehair, but also moving right Whitehair over to right guard where he will be able to flourish and really help that position as well. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still going to call you biased there with this pick, but, you know, considering Biedas' talent, I think that's a very good value, I think, in the third round because 
you know, to me, he's a second round type of talent. Mid to late second round, I think, is, uh, you know, where I would be comfortable drafting him. And if he drops all the way to 81, and there have been some rumors that he might drop to the fourth round even, uh, given that 2019 wasn't his best tape, and he's kind of been dealing with some injuries over the past year or so. Um, if he falls that far because of that, I mean, that's really good value there at that point in the third round. I don't think he's a guy that you can necessarily pass up there. And like you said, he really improves two positions for the Bears. Not only does he make you better at center uh, because, like you said, he's more efficient as a snapper. And the only question would be, can he you know, get those uh, line calls and line of scrimmage and set protections in an efficient way right away from day one? That, that would be my main concern as, as a rookie. But if he's able to handle that right away, um, you know, he improves your offensive line in multiple facets because not only are you moving Cody Whitehair to right guard now who can now be more focused on actually blocking rather than having to make the checks of the line of scrimmage and, and snapping the ball, which we know he's not good at. But now you have Tyler Biadash, who is as solid as it comes in this draft class uh, for interior offensive line. Yeah, I, I think he's a safe pick. He has some injury red flags because he had – Back-to-back years, he had off-season surgeries, but he, he's never missed a game as a starter, and that's something that really stands out to me while they are red flags, the fact that he was able to play through them and play through them efficiently. Um, that, that gives me a little bit more confidence in the pick. So I know that now you are, I believe, in the fourth round of the draft. Uh, mm-hmm. What pick are you at, and where are you going with it? Yeah, so I have right now, due to these multiple trade downs I've done, I have three fourth-round picks, all of them in the same area, really. Um, and the first one of these is at 137, uh, again, from that Jacksonville Jaguars trade. And, you know, when I was looking at picks in this portion of the draft, I felt like, you know, obviously I already addressed wide receiver. I, I already addressed um, offensive line with Niang. Obviously, if there was an offensive lineman that I felt like I couldn't pass up, I would take him because you can never have too many good offensive linemen, I think, in, in the draft. But I also wanted to focus more on the defensive side of the ball at this portion of the draft just because of the fact that, you know, I've already addressed two picks and I feel like I'm getting two stars on the offensive side of the ball. So now trying to get some more depth and playmakers on the defense was kind of a bit of a priority for me here. And the best player on my board for filling that need was Alton Robinson, edge player out of Syracuse he played defensive end for them but in the Bears defense he'd be playing that 3-4 outside linebacker slash 4-3 defensive end uh, when they go to nickel or the nickel defensive end I I should say and we look at Robinson as a prospect he had a standout season in 2018 where he had 17 tackles for loss and 10 sacks that year and a lot of scouts were projecting that he would have an outstanding season this past year and kind of use that 2018 season as a springboard for a bigger year where he can maybe put himself in the first round conversation as a defensive pass rusher type of player. But he really disappointed this past season in terms of just purely his production. Only, he only had four and a half sacks in 2019. And that's kind of led him to be soured upon by uh, many p- scouts around the league and other uh, mock draft enthusiasts as well. You know, but when you look at Robinson in terms of the physical tools that he possesses, I think this guy has a ton of potential to me, he's a third-round type of talent. And the fact that I'm getting him in the fourth round, I thought was just too good to pass up because when you watch him play, he rockets off the snap in passing situation. He's very explosive with his first step. And he gets a top speed very quickly, very good at accelerating. 
And, you know, that allows him to win many one-on-one matchups right away just because he is way too fast for some of these offensive tackles. He's got very good size to complement that as well. He's six foot three, 264 pounds is what he weighed in at the combine. And, you know, there is a lot of potential there to where, you know, he didn't really do this in college very much, but he could definitely add a speed to power element to his game once he figures out the technique and the technical aspects of, of rushing the passer um, and tries to add a little bit more of those counter moves that he just was lacking in college. Because he was a bit of a one-trick pony in college, even in his 2018 season, where he was really good in terms of the production. You know, he was basically winning just on his speed alone. And he needs to add more counter moves to his pass rush, additional rips, additional spins, all that stuff. If he can add those different things to his game, though, uh, he could be a very productive pass rusher in the NFL. And I think he'd be a guy that would be utilized right away as a situational pass rushing specialist in nickel and dime packages, not a guy that you're going to put out there necessarily in base defenses because, you know, he's still working on some of the fundamental aspects of playing the run as well. So he's a guy that is kind of a bit raw at this point, but when you look at the physical tools that he has, there's a lot of upside there. And in the fourth round, if you can get a guy that could be an impact pass rusher for you, I think that's definitely a pick uh, worth investing in. Yeah, and funny enough, at my next draft spot, uh, pick number 92, I also addressed the edge position. We both agree that it seems like people aren't talking enough about how big of a need it is on the Bears to add a third pass rusher. Just because Quinn and Mac are two unbelievable talent doesn't mean that they don't need to come off the field for breaks or that neither will miss a game for injury. So I would love to address the I would love to address that position in this draft or maybe even free agency after the draft. But here I took uh, Jonathan Greenard, an edge out of Florida. He's another wild card, especially with uh, the coronavirus being out there because. I have him graded as a third-round prospect, and here he is going in the third round. But also, this is a, a weak edge class, so he may might have his name called too early. But uh, all of last season, he was really battling a wrist injury that actually held him out of 2018. And while he was dominant and, and had over 10 sacks, he just seemed very hesitant to – to lead with that risk that was wrapped up. So with teams not being able to get proper medicals, I wouldn't be surprised if he went even in the fourth round. But if someone is able to uh, get his physical and make sure the wrist is all clear and get some good film on him, then he could go as high as the, the late second. But I would love to have Greenard as just that additional third pass rusher on the Bears. And addressing a need for cheap is is something that, good NFL or great NFL teams do and hopefully the Bears are able to do the same at these four positions of corner or safety uh, wide receiver offensive line and edge I, I I can't emphasize enough how adding cheap production at those positions will really put the team in a position to succeed not only this year but also in the future yeah well, most definitely and speaking of uh, cheaper additions to the team uh, we're getting to day three portion of this mock draft. But before we get into some of those pick, we're in, picks, we're going to take our second break of the show with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. 
Uh, we've just talked about our picks on day one and two of this draft. And now we're officially, both of us are on day three, the day three portion in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds of this mock draft. And, you know, I'll start with me because I have two picks coming up here that I still have to get through for some of the trades that I did from the second round picks moving down here in this draft. And that's at 140 and 141. The first one is from Jacksonville trade. And the second one is from that Miami Dolphins trade moving down from 50 to 56. So I'll get these out of the way right now. The first one I have at 140 is Antonio Gibson, running back slash wide receiver, wherever you want to call him. He's a playmaker, you know, out of Memphis. Uh, he's one of my favorite prospects in this draft. You know, he's a guy that had 15 touchdowns on 101 career touches, most of that coming last season. So this is a guy that every time he gets the ball in his hands, he has a ch legitimate chance to score no matter where you're at on the field. He's an absolutely a big play specialist. Um, he played wide receiver in college at Memphis, but to me, and this is what a lot of scouts are saying, he's built more like a modern-day running back. He's six foot, 228 pounds, ran a 4.3940 at the NFL scouting combine. So he's got speed for days here. And the way I see it here at this portion of the draft, you know, the fourth round, I'm looking for guys that can not only fill depth on defense, but on the offensive side of the ball, you look at the situation here where you have Tariq Cohen and Cordell Patterson both entering the final years of their respective contracts. Gibson's a guy that kind of has a skill set to fill both of the roles that they have on the offensive side of the ball and on special teams because Antonio Gibson can be a kick returner or a punt returner as well. So Gibson, he's a guy that's going to contribute right away as a big play specialist on those gadget screen type of plays. Uh, maybe put him in the slot wide, slot at wide receiver for a couple plays here and there. But he's a guy that you're going to have a special section of your playbook for to get him the ball in his hands. And then when Tariq Cohen and or Correll Patterson leave in the future, he's a guy that can take over and get a bigger role in the offense in place of one of those two players. And then at 141 for me, I'll, I'll just keep on going here. Um, I have J.R. Reed, safety out of Georgia. Uh, we know that Ryan Pace loves drafting his former Georgia players. You know, with Reed, you know, he was a former roommate, roommate actually, of Roquan Smith. So they're going to have that connection right there. And, and that might be something that pushes the Bears to maybe go after him in this draft to kind of get that connection between those two players on the defense. But, you know, Reed doesn't really have the ideal physical traits that you want from a safety. He's a little bit undersized, not the best athlete in the world, but he's very instinctive and he's a very smart player. And he's, you just know that he's always going to be where he needs to be on defense. Um, he's tough when playing the run. He's not afraid to get into the box and mix things up. He's a very reliable tackler. He's not going to miss too many tackles in space. And while that lack of athleticism does leave him open to being exploited in the passing game, especially if you have him matched up against some of those burner type of receivers deep down the field. But, you know, if you were able to kind of put him in a spot in your scheme to where he's not really uh, relied upon to fill those roles, he's a guy that would be a very good compliment, I think, to Eddie Jackson, either this year or down the road because he's a guy that can kind of fill more of those at the line of scrimmage box duties and let Eddie Jackson do his thing in the back end of the defense. Um, so moving on though, we're going to get to our fifth round picks. And these are the picks that don't involve any of the trades. So the bears do have these picks as of right now available to them. And I'm going to start with you, Alex, for your pick in the first pick in the fifth round here at pick 163. Uh, who were the type of positions or players that you were looking at and, who did you end up going with here? 
Yeah. In these later rounds, I'm, I'm really looking for one of two things, either a, a freak athlete with starter upside who I think can uh, contribute in special teams or a college stud who doesn't really have starter upside, but can really contribute at reserves as a reserve. Uh, this pick, it, it's a guy who back-to-back years, he was a preseason first round pick, yet at pick number 163 here we we might actually be reaching taking him and that's uh Trey Adams he's an offensive tackle out of Washington he's 68 320 so he's just a massive human being and he is a great pass blocker i i think he looks relatively smooth in pass protection but he's dropping so far because it is honestly tough to watch him as a run blocker, he's a little bit of a sissy, which is pretty surprising at 6'8", 320, but perhaps it has to do that he's had back-to-back seasons with an ACL surgery and a back surgery. So that that's a lot of injury red flags. And especially with this offseason not being able to get team doctors to prospects, I could really see Trey Adams uh, really dropping in this draft. But He's a, he's a project pick if he's healthy and if he's able to get coached to really use his size to be more physical in, in run blocking, he'd be a starting right tackle in this league. So I figured I might as well, even though he's an extremely risky prospect, roll the dice on someone who has so much upside. Yeah, Trey Adams, it's really tough because you can just tell that the injuries have really taken a toll on his body over the past couple seasons. If you watch him compared to – 2018, and even going back to 2017, it is two completely different players. You know, that's, that might be a situation to where maybe you draft him on day three, and then maybe you stash him on injury reserve, kind of like a, a red shirt, medical red shirt year. If you were thinking about this from a college perspective, that might be something that Trey Adams needs a, a year to kind of work on his body, get himself right, so that way he can step up in his second season and be a guy that can contribute and maybe even potentially push for a starting spot at left or right tackle, uh, depending on where the coaches see him at. Uh, For me at 163, I went in a bit of a safer option and went for a guy that I knew could be a definitive role player type of guy on his defense, and that was Anthony Jennings, edge player out of Alabama. Um, You know, we talked about Jennings a little bit in our last – you know, two episodes ago or a few episodes ago talking about the edge rushing class in this year's draft. And I mentioned him as part of my overrated prospects. And it's not because I think he's a bad player necessarily. It's just because he's gotten some hype in, uh, you know, in the past about being a day two type of player. And I saw him firmly as a day three type of talent because I don't think he has a lot of upside as a pass rusher. Uh, We look at what he's done in three years as a starter at Alabama. He's only had 15 and a half sacks. And that's tough for me because Alabama, you know that they're loaded on talent in the front seven there. I mean, they just grow those guys on trees. And in three years, if you're not having the type of production to where, you know, you're only having 15 and a half sacks in three years as a starter, that's a bit of a red flag for me in terms of can this guy get after the quarterback in the NFL. But when you look at Jennings, I don't think his skill set is necessarily going to be about rushing the passer purely. To me, he's a three for outside linebacker who's going to be more of that run-stopping, edge-setting player in the 3-4 defense on base downs. 
um, rather than a pass rushing specialist. So when I look at this draft for me specifically, I got Elton Robinson, who's more of that pass rushing specialist early on, and Jennings, who's more of that rotational run defender um, who can set the strong edge in base situations on first and second down. You know, I think to me, he doesn't really have a high upside, but his floor is pretty definitive at this point. And I think he has the makings of a guy who's going to be a solid role player, a guy you kind of rotate in here and there on base downs in the NFL. And I think for the Bears defense, when you look at it, you have Khalil Mack on the left side, who's, you know, an all-world talented, and Robert Quinn, who we've kind of talked about in the past, you know, he's more of a pure pass rusher. You know, he, he can defend the run better than he gets credit for, but it's not necessarily the strongest part of his game. So if you want to give Robert Quinn some breaks here and there on, on early downs so that he's fresh for getting after the quarterback on third down, James would be a guy that could come in and kind of fill that spot for them uh, for a few plays here and there throughout the course of the game. Uh, in terms of the sixth round there, the Bears had two picks at 196 and 200. Uh, who are the two guys that you ended up going with at those selections? Yeah, so my first pick at 196, uh, I accidentally caused a little bit of a roster squeeze. So I took Quez Watkins out of Southern Mississippi. I already drafted a wide receiver early in, earlier with uh, Pittman into a relatively crowded wide receiver room. So most NFL teams on their roster, they carry six wide receivers and dress five. We saw Riley Ridley be that odd man out most of last year. And right now I'd be looking at a wide receiver room of Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, Michael Pittman, Javon Wimps, Riley Ridley, and Cordell Patterson. That, that gets me to six. So Quez Watkins would be my seventh. That, that obviously is creating an issue there. But I honestly think uh, – Patterson will be used more as a, a running back slash utility back, similar to what the Patriots used previously, previous to Patterson siding with the Bears. And we do need some running back depth, and he could fill that third position, assuming we don't draft or, or sign a, a solid running back. So that would uh, allow Quez to be the six wide receiver who dresses and likely doesn't play unless there's injury but he has game-breaking speed he ran the second fastest 40 at the combine and to me that that's worth a gamble at 196 it adds something different to this offense and perhaps he'd even end up beating out one of those other wide receivers who might be a little redundant and just have a little extra speed on the reserves of this Bears team yeah, I mean, you can never go wrong with adding more speed to your offense. That's something that we saw in the Super Bowl this past year. You know, with the NFL being more of a spread-out type of league right now in offense, you know, you're, you're going to need more speedy playmakers that can get over the top of a defense and spread them out a little bit to, you know, open up things in your offensive. So, Quez Watkins, he may not be a guy that contributes right away, but his speed is something that could be kind of molded by his coaching staff to where maybe he's contributing by year two or three as a pure deep threat. So I, you know, I've been a, a huge fan of Watkins in this pre-draft process. I think that would be a fantastic pick in the sixth round. Yeah. And who do you have uh, taking in that sixth round? Was Watkins on the board or did you go another route considering you already added Rieger? Yeah. Watkins was available to me. Um, but like you said, I, I decided to go in a bit of a different direction there because Rieger kind of fit that, pure speedy wide receiver role for me in this draft and 
you know, I, I felt like I could go in a different direction there and address some other needs. And one of them that I decided to go with was the tight end position. And you know, there weren't too many tight ends left on my board that I really liked as a prospect too much. But one of the guys that I felt like was worthy of a selection in the sixth round was Dalton King, tight end out of Virginia Tech. Now, this is a guy that was a very versatile player for Virginia Tech, and he has a skill set to play either as an inline tight end or in the slot, kind of spread out there as a receiver, or more importantly, in the backfield is kind of like a pseudo fullback for you um, in some of those running down situations. He has solid athleticism for a guy at six foot four, 253 pounds, which is pretty good size as well for a modern-day uh, do-it-all type of tight end like himself. And what I like about him is that he's a good, willing blocker. And, you know, while he may not be able to uh, get to his full potential in terms of uh, his receiving upside, if he doesn't make it there, though, I think he's going to have a role in the NFL as a blocker, at least. When you look at the Bears receiving core, they don't really have that true blocking tight end on that roster that you can really trust to go out there um, and contribute in that aspect of the game. They have a lot of guys that are more of those natural receiving tight ends, especially Jimmy Graham and Trey Burton, but those two guys can't block a lick. So you want to get somebody in there that can kind of fill that blocking role at tight end. And, you know, it adds another body to the long list of names for that tight end competition, which should be very interesting when uh, training camp rolls around there. So uh, we, moving on to the uh, second six-round selection, who was your pick at 200? Yeah, pick 200. This is a, a drum I've been banging all year long. I don't think I've ever done a mock draft without taking him as a Braden Mann punter out of Texas A&M. You might have heard me say this stat, but I'm going to bore you with it again. Pat O'Donnell, his career punt average in the NFL is 44.9 yards. He's declined three consecutive seasons in terms of yards per punt. Uh, Braden Mann, he was, uh, he was a kicker until his junior year when he switched. Started the whole year, was unanimous All-American. Uh, averaged 51 yards per punt. This year he was 41.7. Puts his career average at 40, uh, 48.9. That's a solid four yards higher than uh, O'Donnell's, which means with the Bears, who averaged 5.1 punts per game, tied with the Patriots. That'd be a hypothetical 20 yards of field position we could gain. And also cutting Pat O'Donnell, he would, that would save us $1.75 million. Uh, and that could just better be spent on a different position, like adding a, a strong safety or a, a veteran pass rusher. So that's a move that I'm making not only to upgrade a position, but also just, just nickel and dime and save a little bit of cap room. Yeah, and it's also important to keep in note that even if they don't use that extra cap space, you know, that extra, what is $1.75 million could go towards next year's cap in terms of the rollover. Uh, in terms of my pick at 200, I decided to go back to the offensive line, and I ended up going with the guy that I was really surprised made it this far in the draft in terms of this mock, and that was Damian Lewis, interior offensive lineman out of LSU. You know, for me, I have him graded out as a third-round talent. He's one of my top 75 players in this draft as of right now. And the fact that I'm getting him in the sixth round, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And I've seen some people lower on him than me, which is fine. I mean, I, I get that. 
his lack of, of ideal athleticism and length is definitely something that is going to be a turnoff for some teams. But me personally watching him play, I think that he moves well enough to be able to make it work at right guard. And, you know, the main strength of Damian Lewis's game is that he's very good at the point of attack and he can utilize his natural power to his advantage in the run game where the Bears could really need, you know, that Mauler type of player at right guard. And to me, Damian Lewis, for a lot of teams, he would be a plug-and-play type of starter for them. But for the Bears right now, when you look at I already addressed that right side of the offensive line with Niang. They have Ifedi, who they signed uh, in this past offseason period to compete at right guard. You know, it's possible that Damian Lewis would have to sit on the bench for a year and just act as a one more player to be solid depth for them. But it's very possible that in year two or three, he could step in to be that starting right guard and have Niang be the right tackle long-term for you there on that right side of the offensive line. So right now I feel like with those two selections, I've, you know, potentially solved the right side of the offensive line issue to kind of play the Bears offense uh, throughout the season. And that's kind of how I saw this pick working itself out, you know, here in the sixth round. If you can get a long-term starter for you in the sixth round, I mean, that's about as good as it gets. And I think Lewis is that type of player. If he's available to the Bears in the sixth round, that's an easy pick for me, I, th I think. You know, we'll, we'll move on then now to our seventh-round selections. We're going to go through these pretty quickly at 226 and 233. Um, who are your two picks? And kind of just tell me a little bit about them um, in terms of what they could bring to the Bears. Yeah, at 226, I took Lamar Jackson. Uh, not, not the MVP, the cornerback out of Nebraska. Um, he was a guy who – he was a little bit of a nickel corner. Uh, as a freshman, as a sophomore, which is pretty surprising for a DB with such big size at 6'2", 210. But he really blew up in his final season at Nebraska. He was very impressive to me. He, he became second team all Big Ten, which with the corners that Ohio State puts out there, that, that's, that's an award that's, that's not worth scoffing at. So the issue with him, though, is he's pretty slow for a, a DB, and he's not great in coverage, but he is an outstanding tackler. So I would use him as a, a special teamer to begin with, and in the seventh round, taking a special teamer, that's, that's something that I'm all in for. But also, I think uh, a team should look into converting him into a box safety because he would be a, a solid safety in terms of coverage ability. And if they use him exclusively in the box just to, to get tackles, Lamar Jackson would be very impressive in that role, I think. You would be a little bit of an issue uh, dropping back into coverage against some of those larger tight ends who still have the quickness, like Evan Ingram. But at the same point in the seventh round, taking a special teamer who has a starter upside, I'm in. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and then at 233, who's your final pick in this draft? Uh, another Wisconsin guy. I took uh, Chris Orr, inside linebacker out of Wisconsin. Again, when I'm, when I'm taking this late, I'm looking for great athletes with uh, starter upside, special teamers with starter upside, or just college studs who don't have that starter upside. They'll never be an NFL starter. And that's what Chris Orr is. He'll never start a full season in the NFL, but he'll always look like he belongs on the field. And with Roquan Smith and uh, Danny Trevathan's injury history and losing uh, KPL and 
Kwiatkowski. I just don't feel comfortable with our current inside linebacker depth. So having a guy like Chris Orr, who isn't a great athlete, but is a thumper and has, has a great football IQ and, and ability to get after the quarterback, that, that's just a safety net I'd feel comfortable with as our fourth or third inside linebacker. Yeah, inside linebacker is going to be a position that it's going to be interesting how they address that in this draft because – you know, like you said, they lost some depth in this past offseason, and it's kind of shaky right now. If Trevathan goes down for an extended period of time once again, you know, you're looking at guys that haven't really proven that they can play in the NFL and start for a significant period of time behind Roquan Smith. So, uh, yeah, if they can add some additional linebacker depth there, that's, that's a direction I went here in the seventh round as well, but I went in a little bit of a different di- direction in terms of uh, the type of player and who I went after here. But I'll get to that later after – on my first pick in the seventh round, and that's at 226. And I went with Bravian Roy, defensive tackle on Baylor. He's a guy that we've talked about a little bit here in our podcast. And he's a guy at six foot one, 330 pounds, that has good size to be a nose tackle and back up Eddie Goldman in the middle of their defensive line there. You know, he does struggle with his pad level a little bit, and he does need to do a better job of anchoring against double teams. But, you know, with a guy with his type of size, he moves very well for a guy at 330 pounds. So if he can get into training camp and the coaching staff can help him out a little bit with his technique and uh, help him to be able to get his pad level down and anchor a little bit better against those double teams, he's a guy that has that physical upside to be a nice run stopper on first and second down against the run. He's not going to add much in terms of a pass rushing upside, but in terms of being another big body uh, to keep – the linebackers keep clean in terms of Roquant and uh, Dan Trevathan, so they don't have to deal with a lot of offensive linemen getting clean shots at them all the time, which was something that I thought was a bit of a problem later on in the season once Akeem Hicks went down. Um, I think that would be some nice value in the seventh round to get a nice, solid rotational role player in Roy, potentially. And then, yeah, for uh, my, my second seventh round selection, I actually went a uh, linebacker again. Um, Kind of the same as you, I went with a Big Ten linebacker here. And while he went with more of that traditional, uh, instinctive, run-stopping player in Chris Orr, I went with more of an athletic upside type of guy in Muhammad Barry out of Nebraska. And Barry, you know, he's a little bit different from Orr in that, you know, Orr, well, he doesn't really have the physical athletic traits that you typically look for in modern-day linebackers. Barry is pretty fast for a linebacker. In, in today's day and age where you want guys to be able to go side the sideline and, and cover uh, in space, Barry from a physical etch aspect can do some of those things for you. Now he's never going to be a starter in the NFL. He's a guy that's going to be, you add on your roster at the bottom of the roster for depth and for special teams purposes. But when he does get on the field in that linebacking aspect, he's a guy that is very aggressive playing the run which allows him to blow up a lot of plays in the backfield. Um, unfortunately, it does lead to him over-pursuing quite a bit on his angles, which creates some bigger plays, um, you know, in, in cutback lanes and, and things of that nature. But, you know, the biggest issue for Barry is that he just lacks a lot of ideal length on his frame. So that leads to some missed tackles that otherwise for other players would be, you know, easier for them. Because uh, physically, he's just not able to wrap up enough uh, with his shorter arms. And that also creates some issues in coverage as well, despite the fact that he moves very well in space. Uh, he's just not able to get his hands on um, a lot of balls in those passing windows to be able to knock them down. So um, Barry's a guy that is a little bit more of an athletic guy, 
can contribute on special teams, and uh, that was the direction I went to with my second seventh-round pick. Yeah, and not really in a position to argue which inside linebacker is better and in the seventh round. You just, you just hope that they can contribute, and I think both of those guys, while they take different approaches, can, can help the depth at a needed position. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what we're going to do now to, to close up this podcast is we're going to recap both of our drafts and kind of analyze them a little bit here to end this episode. But before we do that, we're going to take our final break of the show uh, with one last word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, uh, recapping this latest episode here in our mock draft, final mock draft episode. Uh, Alex, you know, what we're going to do here is recap our drafts and kind of just fully assess them and kind of reflect on what we think the positives are, the negatives are to each of our strategies and, and overall hauls that we got in here. And Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on your draft and uh, the strengths of it, the weaknesses of it, and uh, where at least the Bears roster going into uh, the summer workout portion of, uh, of a normal season, but for this purpose is probably going into training camp. Yeah, well, one one little disappointment that I had was I didn't really get a premium or a dominant prospect. I really do like my draft haul, but I was really hoping one of the Delpit, Bon, Rieger, KJ Hamler, Uche. I heard one. I was hoping one of those would fall into my laps, but while while I missed out on all of them, I'm. I'm glad with the approach I took, and I, I think there is a lot of, you know, there is quality in having so much quantity of those third-round picks, which I think is the bread and butter of this draft. But I'd just like to say if, if, if I was a 97-year-old woman whose name just happened to be uh, Virginia McCaskey, I, I would just call up Brian Pace and let him know while he is the, the GM and he can do whatever he wants that I just – wouldn't feel comfortable that he uses any future draft capital. I think that he really needs to to prove that this is his job and he could build a Super Bowl without kicking the can down the road. When you're not a like elite Super Bowl contender, I don't think it's a good idea to be trading those future first and second round picks or else you might end up in a in a cap hell in a drafts strapped situation like the Texans and the Rams are so that's something that I hope Pace doesn't do this year and really just settles with not having the 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 premium picks that he's used to to pulling off but yeah I I, I think I have uh Biotish and Arnett while they're not they're not the most attractive picks due to their lower ceilings both of them are day one NFL starters. I believe that Michael Pittman is also a day one NFL starter and Quez Watkins adds a little spice and speed to the wide receiver room. And then also I got Greenard and Orr. They, they, they fill in uh, open reserve roles currently on the Bears just to, to fill out the depth chart. Greenard especially, he, he'll thrive in that rotational role. And I, I think Going into the draft, one of my main goals was to try and find a good safety, but that that didn't really happen. So I really think if this draft happened, I would be extremely happy with the haul I got. But 
this roster would still be very flawed unless uh, some restructuring of contracts happened, maybe an extension of Allen Robinson or Akeem Hicks to free up some capital to bring in a true veteran strong safety because having your three safeties be Eddie Jackson, Sherrick McManus, and having Deion Bush be a starter is, is not a position I'd be comfortable with when you're leaning on your defense to provide most of the production. So reaching out to a guy like Tony Jefferson would be huge for the Bears and I think would really solidify this offseason. Yeah, I think uh, your approach was very good in terms of laying the board comes to you and then getting some additional draft capital to, to fill some needs and just get some solid starters. And I think, you know, something that's very underrated about the draft, I think, is that a lot of fans, you know, they think they it's almost like they see it as a negative. You're just getting a solid starter with some of those early day two type of picks. And, you know, when you look at drafts in, in the past, you know, oftentimes – the best drafts for teams are the ones where they just get a bunch of guys that, yeah, maybe they're not making all pros and pro bowls year in and year out, but guys that can just be solid contributors, solid stars for you and kind of build that foundation of your team. Uh, those are the ones that kind of allow for the most long-term success uh, for successful teams. And, you know, I think even when you look back in the, on the bears drafts, maybe their, their best one was probably 2016 under Ryan Pace you know, where they got guys like Leonard Floyd in the first round, Cody Whitehair in the second round, uh, Deion Bush, Nick Wachowski, Jordan Howard, all on day three. Uh, you know, that was probably their most productive draft in terms of getting a bunch of contributors uh, for this team. You know, we'll see. I, I think personally the 2018 draft was also a good one by Ryan Pace, but that's still – we're still in the, in the process of seeing how that one completely unfolds. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that – your draft and scenario that you took out there, I think you got a couple really solid contributors and starters for 2020 and beyond. And uh, yeah, if one of those guys breaks out, who knows? I mean, that would be a, I'd be pretty happy with that, that draft personally. Uh, for me, uh, the biggest negative obviously is the fact that you kind of mentioned it uh, there that, you know, it's not in the bears best interest to be giving away future draft capital, especially first and second round picks. Those are premium picks to get key core players that could be not only long-term stars for you, but you're expecting to possibly develop into Pro Bowl-level impact starters for you, star players down the road. And um, while I was able to get back an extra fifth-round pick from the Chiefs and two additional sixth-round picks, I mean, those are day three picks that are basically going to be wild cards on whether those players even make the roster or not long-term. So. Um, you know, that's going to be the obviously the biggest negative for me. I am a bit bummed that I wasn't able to address quarterback, but after the fourth round, there just wasn't too many draftable players on the board for me that I thought would be good enough to justify taking over somebody at a different position of need that would probably contribute right away or at least contribute uh, much sooner than a quarterback would who would probably be third or fourth on the depth chart to start off. So, that was why I wasn't able to address quarterback. But in terms of the players that I was able to get, I felt like I got at least two day one starters in Rager and Yang. With Rager, I think Rager has legitimate superstar type of upside. I think you could be a guy that could be a year in and year out, one of the most explosive dynamic weapons in the NFL, a wide receiver. Um, I truly believe he has that type of upside to his game. And then beyond that, I felt like Alton Robinson, J.R. Reed, 
Antonio Gibson, Anthony Jennings, all four of those guys I thought could be guys capable of contributing in some aspect on day one as contributors. I mean, I also feel like uh, Damian Lewis in the sixth round, he has upside to be a starter down the road at some point. And then Kane, Roy, Barry, those guys that are all going to be adding competition at the bottom of the roster, don't really have too much expectations for them at the next level, but I feel like they add some more depth to the roster and, you know, you don't have – holes there at the bottom of your depth chart that would have otherwise been in place there at some of those positions. So while I don't necessarily like the idea of giving up future draft capital, I think Ryan Pace has shown in the past that he is not afraid to go in that direction. And it would not surprise me in the least if he goes in a, in a direction more closer uh, to the scenario that I went for uh, rather than your strategy, just because of the fact that Ryan Pace knows that this is going to be a big year in terms of his job status going forward as the GM of the Chicago Bears. And if the Bears don't win right away this upcoming season, uh, his job is going to be – his job status is going to be a little bit on the hot seat there uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think um, he, he is a candidate to maybe make a, a panic move. I, I hope he doesn't, but – if he does, Rieger would, would set the, the Bears up for a, in a position to succeed, not only this year, but as you said, he's got superstar upside. So if that's our flinch overreaction trade in an attempt to save Pace's job, I'm all in. I, I, if that's his worst move, I'll take it. Yep, I mean, Rieger, Mims is another guy that I'm looking for if he's going to trade up. And if he gets a good quality offensive tackle on a panic move, so to speak, trading up to the first round, those are the type of picks where I can live with it, I think, uh, especially Rieger. To me, Rieger is my top target for the Bears at that first selection in the second round there. And if, you know, if he's available to them late in the first round and if he feels like he has to make a move to go get him, I, you know, I wouldn't love giving up future draft capital, but I wouldn't be necessarily all the way opposed to it. Uh, so I think this is a good spot then to wrap up this episode of Picks for Pace. Um, thank you, listeners, Bears fans, and draft enthusiasts alike for tuning in for this episode and for this final mock draft before the start of the 2020 NFL Draft, which is coming up in just a week. Uh, it's coming up very quickly, and uh, we're really excited to uh, finally get the draft coming along here. So that's going to be uh, really exciting, I think. Yeah, and, and we look forward to knowing who these next Bears are going to be and breaking down in much more detail the individual players that we end up picking. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, one thing for this mock draft, when, uh, when we're posting this, uh, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Picks for Pace. And one thing that you guys can do is, you know, we want you guys to tell us what your strategy for be when the draft comes along in a week. And, who you think had the better draft haul? That would be something that I think would be very interesting to see your guys' opinion on because, you know, obviously we're both going to love our respective drafts. We got – I think we both of us got our guys, so to speak, in terms of guys that we've been targeting all offseason that we want to be on the Bears. But we want to hear definitely what you guys think of our respective draft hauls and um, compare and contrast what you like and what you don't like about them. That's definitely going to be something that I think would be uh, fun to hear from you guys. Yeah, look forward to talking to you guys next week and 
interacting with you on Twitter. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.